<laughs> During youth camp, uh, I got to speak to some of the parents who attended the camp, uh, mostly the fathers, um, regarding the main theme of this year's youth camp, which was the huge and difficult theme of salvation, okay? Christian salvation. And I remember uh, some of the conversations with some of the fathers uh, stemming from how we are saved to how do we know we're saved? Uh, and I know, uh, like, I mean, some of you probably sitting there like, well, what's the conversation about? It's like, that's easy. Well, if you think about it some more, it's not that simple. It's such a huge topic, right? How are you saved? And how do you know you're saved? Uh, those questions led to the always interesting and controversial topics in evangelical circles that deal with faith, and works. That's always a conversation within evangelical circles. Faith and works. Um, there is still a lot of overlap as far as our understanding of salvation uh, when it comes to uh, how we are ultimately saved. Okay? There's still a lot of overlap when it comes to that. Uh, the Bible speaks about being saved by grace through faith. Ephesians Nobody knows where it is. Two? Eight and nine. Right? We are saved by grace through faith. It's not our own doing. It is a gift. Right? So are we saved by faith? Uh, at the same time, you go to James 2.24, and me and Pastor Mike had this ongoing thing on a Friday night. I was like, I have to go, Pastor Mike. I have to leave. I have to go home. And we're still going at it. I'm like, I'll get back to you tomorrow, which was Saturday. So Saturday I come back, I go, go read James 2.24. <laughs> and I want you guys to read it today. James 2.24. What does James 2.24 say? And we flash it. James 2.24. No, no, no. That water, water. Somebody read it out if you have it. Nobody wants to read it out. We're all saved by grace, right? What will James say? James 2.24. That's Ephesians. That's not it. Right, I'll read it. James 2.24. It says this. Okay, there you go. Read that. You see that a person is justified by... This is also in your Bible... This is what we were going back and forth on, right? What are we saying? Is James and Paul, are they having this clash, this, you know, they're not understanding each other? What's going on? Why would James say you are justified by works and not by faith alone? Meanwhile, Paul in Ephesians says, no, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So what is it? How is a sinful human being truly saved? It is by faith? Is it by faith? Or by work? One of the groups that presented, um, you know, in, in camp, because what they're doing is that they have these presentations of what they learned. Um, one of the questions for the presentation is, how are we saved? Um, some groups say, oh, we are saved because when we confess Jesus as Lord, Romans 
10.9. And then some groups say, no, we are saved by faith. It's not about the confession. It's about John 14.6. So what is it? And how do we reconcile these two? Because obviously they should be reconciled because the Bible can't go against itself. It's got to be cohesive, right? It's one message. So how do we reconcile this text from the Apostle Paul to the text from, the, from James? Um, this morning, I believe that our text in Exodus will be able to do that. We'll be able to reconcile what it means to be saved by both faith and works. Because it's, it's black and white. It's in the Bible. Right? It's just a matter of how do we understand it? How do we reconcile it? So our text this morning is in Exodus 12, uh, chapter, four, uh, sorry, chapter 12, verses 14 to 28. But before we get there, uh, let me just do a quick review. Last time I was here, we began taking up the Passover section of the 10th plague. Uh, I mentioned that uh, God's sovereignty does not only apply to the plague that took the lives of the firstborn in Egypt, but also to those whom God intended to save. Uh, at that point in time, it was the Israelites, right? Um, and it was through the instructions of the Passover that God saved them, right? Remember? This, this, this plague was going to come for everybody. And God said to the Israelites, okay, if you want to be saved from this plague, do this. Uh, so if you can still remember, we took two Sundays to take up the Passover account at the beginning of chapter 12. Uh, if you missed any of these messages, please watch them again on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, so this morning, we're going to take up the rest of the Passover instructions, this time found in verses 14 to 28. So we finish 1 to 13 of chapter 12. We're going to continue in 14 to 28. And my goal uh, this morning uh, once again, is to not focus too much on the details of the Jewish traditions that we're going to see here, which is still being practiced today. Okay? We're not going to focus too much on that, but we will look at how these traditions ultimately point to the salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The complete picture, I think, I believe that, that that's what it's painting for us. The complete picture of salvation that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we dive into the details of the text, let's look at it. From a bird's, you know, bird's eye point of view. Let's zoom out for a bit, okay? Before we get into 14 to 28. Zoom out for a bit. First thing I want you to notice when you zoom out and look at the whole chapter. Chapter 12. Notice how the instructions for the Passover are given twice in chapter 12. You guys see that in your text? Instructions for Passover were given twice. First in verses 1 to 13. And then part of uh, verses 21 to 28. Okay? Don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. Look at it. There's two instructions. 1 to 13, instructions for Passover. Get a lamb, kill it, paint the blood on your doorpost. Go back, to 20, go back down to 21, instructions for Passover again. Kill a, get a lamb, kill it, paint the blood on your doorpost. Okay? Hopefully you guys see that. Okay? Second thing I want you to notice. Um, in between the instructions for the Passover, there's another set of instructions. 
which is our text. What is that set of instructions for? Most Bibles have that little heading at the top, right? What is the heading? Is there a heading there for this instruction? Oh, somebody's. Okay. What are the instructions in between the two instructions for the Passover? Instructions for what? Feast of unleavened bread. That's what we read. Right? Now, isn't it weird to be putting that there? Because the Passover itself is also a, a meal, right? Something that they have to cook and eat and Unleavened bread is also a meal. And in this case, a feast. Right? So look at that instruction. Um, and it, it, both were given by God to keep as a statute. Right? Much like the Passover was, so is the feast of unleavened bread. Do this uh, even after you leave Egypt. Uh, both of these statues are to be kept by the Israelites forever. In fact, they still keep it to this day. Um, and again, that, that statute uh, is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, based on this, there's a couple of questions that came into my mind as I study this. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know this is how I kind of process things. Always ask questions. Um, First question is, why is this feast so significant? Why, why put it there to begin with? Right? Why not separate it from Passover? And what makes it that significant to be kind of just stuck in there all of a sudden in the middle? Um, and, and is this feast separate or a continuation of the observance or the celebration of Passover? So two questions. What is... Uh, why is this feast of unleavened bread so significant? And is this feast a separate thing from the Passover, or is it one with the Passover? Let's answer that second question first. Okay? Is the feast of unleavened bread separate or a continuation of the observance or the celebration of the Passover? And remember, what we're trying to reconcile is the issue within faith, works between James and Paul. Okay? Let's answer that. Is this feast separate or a continuation? The, pe the feast of unleavened bread. Now, within the context of the story, it seems as though the feast of unleavened bread comes right after the Passover meal. You read the story, right? Seems as though that way. Look at verse uh, 18, chapter 12. In the first month from the 14th day, of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. If you go back to the Passover instructions at the beginning of chapter 12, specifically in verses 2 and 3, it says there, 2 and 3, uh, pa the Passover instructions, it says, This month shall be for you the beginning month. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. The 10th day of the month, they shall take a lamb. You skip down to verse 6, it says, And you shall keep it 
until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So, you go back to verse 18. When does the Feast of Unleavened Bread start? 18. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month. Remember, remember, you put it together, right? So let's say their first month is a January, which it's not. Okay, in our calendar, it's a January, okay? So 10 days, so January 10th, all the fathers in here, go grab yourself a lamb. Keep it in your house for four days. And then when 14th comes, kill it. When on the 14th day do they kill it? It says here, at twilight. It says in the instructions for Passover, verse 6, you shall keep the lamb until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight of the 14th day. Now, again, this is how my mind works. What does twilight mean? Because that's the when, right? When the Passover, or the, when, when this is supposed to happen. When does twilight mean in the context of the story? If you look up the word twilight, okay, some of you know twilight, I was only a movie. Or a bunch of movies, four movies. Uh, it's the Twilight. Uh, you know what I'm saying? The vampire movies. <laughs> okay. What does Twilight mean? If you look at the word Twilight in the dictionary, it's defined as the soft glowing light from the sky when the sun is below the horizon. Okay. So the horizon is where the earth meets the sky. Twilight is when the sun goes below that and then there's light. It's nice light, actually. Right? That people wake up for that or stay and, and look for that. Sunrise and sunset, which leads me to my next point. If twilight is the light that happens when the sun goes down below the horizon, then what time of day is that? <laughs> right? Because twilight in Tagalog is what? Takip silim. When is takip silim? When does it happen? Ah, 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 here we go, here we go. Ah, ah. Before the evening, before the morning, before. If we're talking about twilight, it happens both times, right? Sometimes if you look at pictures of twilight, you don't know. Is it morning? Is it becoming morning? Or is it starting to become evening? Because that's what it is. That's twilight. So now, in this case of the Passover, if that's twilight, is it, you know, if, if twilight could, you, you could describe sun coming up or sun went down. If twilight's like that, it could either be dawn or dusk. What is it in the text? <laughs> when it says there, kill the lamb at twilight. Dawn or dusk? Who says, dawn? Who says, dusk? <laughs> it's dusk. It's dawn or dusk, right? 
context, I would argue that when the Israelites were instructed to kill the lambs at twilight, I would argue that means dawn of the 14th day. And why do I see it that way? Obviously, there's a the biblical backup for it. Go back to verse 18. Instructions in verse 18 says what? First month, 14th day of the month at You shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at. Okay. So, before this, if the Feast of Unleavened Bread is supposed to come after Passover, then that's, that makes sense, right? Because they kill the lamb at twilight, they eat the lamb. Okay. Now, now, if you guys are observant enough, you can also see that the instructions for the Passover and eating the Passover lamb comes with unleavened bread. <laughs> you guys see that? Let's read it. This is just something to kind of, you know, your curiosity. Um, verse 5, you shall take a lamb without blemish, a male year, uh, year old. You make it, uh, you take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel kills their lambs at twilight and then what do they eat it with they shall eat the flesh at night roasted on the fire verse 8 they shall eat the flesh at night roasted on the fire with what unleavened bread and bitter herbs now if you go to the Hebrew like why they had to do this there's a lot of reasons why they had to do the unleavened bread. Like the, 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 the way they celebrate it right now, um, the, the, the bitter herbs is there for them to remember how bitter their time was in Egypt. That is, it's, it's all a reminder, right? If you, if you read the context of verse 12, this is to remind them of what God did for them. But not just what God did for them, but what, what they went through. Okay? The unleavened bread is a sign that they had to leave in haste. You had to go right away. So they can't wait for the dough to, to rise. Like if you guys make bread at home, my brother always makes sourdough bread. It takes a while. I go, can I get some bread for tomorrow? No. It takes a while. You got to wait for it to rise. And, you know, the, the more it rises, the more the sourdough has its little bubbles inside, the more better it, the bread is. But these guys didn't have time. They had to leave right away. Remember, we talked about this. They had to eat with their belts fastened, the, their bags on their back, and their sandals on their feet. Why? So you got to go right away, right? So now, what, what, how is this so significant? If the bread that they ate, or it's the unleavened bread in the instructions in the Passover, the same as the unleavened bread in the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. I'll leave that to you to think. It's not part of my message. But isn't it interesting? Because right? it could be. Because right? there's a debate on this when it comes to the commentaries. Some say the Passover is separate from the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Some say it's one and the same. Um, no, I think, okay, and just like what Queer Amir did earlier, I have to make a stand on this. I can't just leave you hanging. Um, I think that the instructions... Uh, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a continuation of. It's not separate. It's not a separate feast. It's not a separate thing from the Passover meal. 
So I could argue that the unleavened bread at the instructions of the Passover meal is the same unleavened bread. Uh, so it doesn't come, uh, it's not a separate thing. Uh, the, in, in, in that sense, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is not separated from the Passover. But in one sense, it is because it's, it seems like it was the Passover first, right? kill the lamb first, cook the meat, and then the unleavened bread at night. That's what it seems like. Um, but again, I would argue for um, that it's not. They eat it at the same time. It's part of the same celebration, part of the same meal, right? Um, the statute, both of these statutes are instructed to be celebrated and remembered um, because both happen on the same day. Um, Passover meal, uh, the Passover meal during the day, and it seems like the Feast of Eleven bread at night. Uh, and then from that point on, it was just bread, 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 bread for seven days. Um, so and I think and I believe that that kind of understanding the context of the story, that way that these meals, these celebrations are one. Um, interpreting the story that way would help us understand salvation even more. Uh, and it will help us to reconcile um, faith versus you should be able to see where I'm going with this, even right now. Uh, Passover meal is how they were ultimately saved. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread is also equally important. And I would argue necessary when it comes to our understanding of salvation. I'll read to you a comment by Riken. It says here, when we consider how the Feast of Unleavened Bread is connected to Passover, we discover a very important truth about salvation. Namely, that we are saved in order to be sanctified. Passover is about getting saved. It reminds us that we have been delivered from death by a perfect substitute whose blood was shed as a sacrifice for our sins. And the Feast for Unleavened Bread reminds us what God wants us to do once we're, we've been saved. And that is to live a sanctified life, becoming more and more free from sin. Now again, if, if you look at the Passover and the way it points back to, to um, the New Testament salvation that we have in Christ, who is our Passover lamb? The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was slain so that his blood can free us from the penalties of our sin. If you look at the unleavened bread, who is our unleavened bread? Jesus Christ too, right? Isn't he? Well, if you understand what it means to be an unleavened bread. What does it mean to be an unleavened bread? Or what, does, what makes the bread unleavened? Why is that so important to the Jews? And should be for us as well. Why is that important for our understanding of salvation and the full measure of what it means to be a Christian? Why is that so important? I believe when we answer that question, we would also reconcile Paul and James. We would also answer this debate between 
faith and works when it comes to our salvation. Why is it so important? Why is it so significant? Come back next week. Because if I keep going, I, I want to keep going. Don't get me wrong. Because I know some of this stuff will fall out during the week. And you're not going to remember it. But hopefully you do. Um, but keep that in mind. Well, you know, let that marinate in there for a little bit. Why is the Feast of Eleven Bread so important? Um, and not just important, but necessary, I would say, when it comes to our understanding of salvation. Come back next week for the answer. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Gracious, gracious. Uh...